Welcome, friends. We are live for episode 30 of the Friday Froster. 30. 30. Today, can I get a daily double, Alex? Or how about a dose of mental health mess? Sorry about that earlier, guys. We had, we look, LinkedIn canceled us, and Hal said we should get picked up by Netflix. Yes, that would be a good thing if we could do that, Hal. I don't know what happened. But for some strange reason, we got cut off. But we're back. Hey. We are back. All right, guys. The Friday Froster is the first live show where we talk about fraud. And guess what? You've got Kelly Paxton, our pink collar crime expert. You've got Joe Irvin, our ethics expert. And then you have me. I'm just, I'm just here. Right, but together we have fun on Friday talking about fraud. 30 30 times since March, we've been doing that. I can't believe that it's crazy. Good pat on the back there, right? Isn't that insane? Yeah, (laughs) that is insane. Okay, so we've just kind of introduced ourselves. I guess I introduced everyone. So let's talk about Friday Froster. We are available on your favorite podcasting platforms. But if you want to see more of little old me, look for Audit Bites, usually on Wednesdays, where I talk about auditing, on your favorite podcasting platforms, too. But there's something we want to talk to you guys about today before we get started. And it's something called the Innovative Auditor Challenge. You want to know what that is? Of course you do, people. Well, if you don't, just... Bear with me for a little bit, please. (laughs) See how nice that was? Look, it is five hours of CPE, five days a week, but it's only one hour each day, all for $25. And guess what? You get to see three of the people that you're talking to and watching right now. What are the dates on that, Joe? October 25th through October 29th. Every day at 11 Mountain Time. So that is 12 Central Time, Robert's Time, 1 p.m. East Coast Time, and 10 Kelly's Time. We're, we've got it. Like We spread the love across the U.S. here. That's right. We're spreading the love. And each day, it's a different topic. Mm-hmm. Do you want me to tell you the topics, too? Yeah, the topics. What are the topics? All right. Hold on. Um, Monday, we have Trent Russell doing data visualization. Show me the data. I love that title. Um, Rob is doing Tuesday, how to influence while auditing. Michelle Fowler is doing conflict management. There isn't always a resolution. Thursday, I will be doing lean internal audit techniques, teaching everyone how to leverage, eliminate waste, apply and nurture those lean skills. And then Friday, Kelly, what are you going to do on Friday? I'm going to talk about fraud, but I'm kind of, I want to mix it up maybe a little this time. So I, I honestly, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Of course it will have to do with fraud. Fraud and auditors, and it's going to be innovative to fit right fraud in. Fraud it. Fraud it. It'll be about fraud. I like that. It's fraud it on Friday. That's right. <laughs> and then after you experience the innovative auditor challenge, you can come right over here and watch us on the Friday Froster. Right. Now, Leslie says that she has already signed up and is excited for the start. Fraud it on Friday. I like that. Okay. 
So, you guys, why don't we just hop right to it? Today's story, you know, I put double daily up here, but I meant daily double. Alex <laughs> Quebec. All right. So let's just talk about today's story. Middlesex County prosecutors now allege that uh, a young lady, while working as an office manager, stole more than $100,000 from Southeastern Painting Company over a period of two years. So here's what happened. Earlier this year, while working there, she was taking, uh, she was taking some time off for a personal matter, and the owner discovered that during the two years she had been working for him, she was engaging in a variety of schemes to steal from the company. She allegedly stole, and I, I'm sure you want to know what she stole. She allegedly stole, uh, she allegedly claimed reimbursements for non-existent expenses such as office supplies and later on travel and hotel. Now the theft started out small, $25 here and there, slipped into a paycheck. He also discovered that she put in a higher salary for herself into the company's payroll processor. By the time he discovered the situation, the amounts had grown to as much as $1,000 at a time. According to the indictments against her, she collected more than $70,000 in extra salary that she was not entitled to, and she forged and deposited almost $30,000 in corporate checks in just that two-year period. In addition to the felony larceny, forgery, and uttering charges, she's also facing a charge of being a common and notorious thief. I love that. Can we just start calling people that? Kelly, have you seen that before? Is that like a common charge? That's a charge? Common and notorious thief? <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think... I. I, I'm a little speechless by that. I mean, the judges, it's fun to read what the judges say sometimes. I mean, it's always fun to read what the judges say sometimes. Um, common and notorious. I like it. Mm -hmm. I like that too. Okay. Did she go to Disney, guys? What do you guess? Do you think she went to Disney? Are you checking oh. her Facebook to see if there's any pictures of her at Disney? <laughs> I, haven't, I haven't found out. Um, an in-ground pool. A designer wardrobe. Um, okay, based on her mugshot or the 2009 thing, she's in a grout fit. Forget, uh, mind you, I'm in a grout fit too. But you know, um, what is a grout fit? A gray outfit. A grout fit. <laughs> you know, I learn something new every Friday too. That is, that might be today's lesson. A grout fit. A grout fit. Wait. Am I in a grout fit then? You're in a grout fit too. I'm in a grout fit. Uh-huh. So do you have to be grouchy to be in a grout fit? Like, no. It... <laughs> no. I might like to grungy, but maybe that's because we're talking about a common and notorious notorious thief. I don't know. Yeah. Oh my God. It's so funny. But now yeah. Leslie says all thefts lead to Disney. <laughs> don't they? Because they said she took vacations, but wait a minute. We're not even there yet, though, Kelly. That's the 2009 when we're talking about the one from uh, this year or last year, the, the right. most recent one. But yeah. check this out. They said reimbursements she claimed would be hidden inside records from various projects that the company was doing. It said they even got by the firm's bookkeeper. When the firm got a new gasoline card, she helped herself to one of those as well. She cut checks to her to her landlord, signing her boss's name. 
And then she did a bad forgery is what the boss said when he finally saw it. Then she posed as a former employee to vouch for checks when the landlords questioned why the employer was paying her rent. Can we just stop right there? Because I made notes and I went, wow, go landlord. Like what landlord isn't just out there worrying about getting paid that they actually took the time to, to notice, like, why is your employer paying your rent? I was like yep. that to me, props to the landlord in this case. They're like a, maybe they're a secret CFE or something, you know, no. <laughs> anyway, that was, that was impressive. Go, okay. It, well, we're all in this together though, right? I mean, really? Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, we have to be at this point because these people are um, mm, pretty bad. It also said that she used the company to pay her cable and internet bill for a satellite radio and, and for a satellite radio for her Toyota Highlander SUV. So I put the link in for her LinkedIn profile uh, and um, who's going to be the first person to catch a bad typo that is just so, and you guys can't do it. So who's the first person who's going to get the typo and the irony of it all of her LinkedIn profile? Cause. Oh, I love it. I just gave you guys a challenge. Yeah. You got to. Not to distract you, but Ooh, do we want to give away a prize for the person, the first person that types it in the chat that sees it? Uh, sure. If they don't already have my book, I'll give them my I book. Think, yeah, depends on because I think Leslie and Hal have, have probably had something <laughs> that all three of us. <laughs> we can give them a choice of, of who's because I could give away one of my books or uh, a shirt from the store or something like that. Yeah, where's I mean, my who, shirt? Who? And Heather, Heather has them too. <laughs> Drop me your mailing address. You'll have a shirt yeah. in mail. Or did you order one? I like I the pink pink. One. Yeah, I got pink. Yeah, we've got pink. Yeah, Who doesn't want an I love audit shirt? Kelly yeah. does for sure. <laughs> I, I need one. Okay, so let, let's talk about this, though, in all seriousness. So how in the world was she able to go into the payroll records and increase her salary? How did she have access to go into the payable system to uh, write a check, cut a check, approve a check to be cut? Um, what else? There were a couple of other things that I was wondering. How did she have the authority? Oh, the gas card. How did she have the ability to assign herself a new gas card? And who was doing the reconciliation on the back end? Sounds like this company, well, as we say almost every week, lack of segregation of duties. Mm-hmm. Well, did you see, I mean, you'll probably get into this, how this guy found her was through a mutual friend. And unfortunately, that's the, what Kelly will tell you, trust is not a control. Like we cannot trust, like even our references. I think we say that on every show, um, but I think that's what happened, right? Oh my God. So if I put a link into Chris Marquet's old Fraud Talk blog. And so in 1999, she was found guilty of stealing more than 11 grand from 11 elderly residents of a nursing home. Then yep. she went and stole from Weir and she had 13 different schemes. The lucky 13, like, you know, 13 different schemes. That's impressive. Yeah. Like, I, I think I'd have a hard time getting over 10 different schemes. <laughs> so, yeah. can we, so can we say this was a so sophisticated fraudster? <laughs> 
Maybe, but maybe it was just the FBI saying that, you know, it was 13 schemes and they actually meant 13 different checks. That's very possible because a lot of the indictments will break it down like that. But but see, now now that we're here, this is interesting because, yes, in 1999 was her first crime. And it was at a nursing home, like Kelly just said. And she was uh, convicted in that one or was it the second one? Because this is actually her third one that we're talking about today. Um. She was okay. Oh, sorry. Um, Daniel, criminal justice. Was that the answer? Yeah, she spells criminal, criminal justice. Well, you know, I don't know. <laughs> Rob hasn't gotten to her resume that this is why this third place hired her. Number one, because the court system had erased her previous con- convictions. Yes. Right? Talk about that, and then um, her resume was good. So obviously, her LinkedIn is not as good as her resume was. Um, All right, yeah. So go into that. Yeah, let, let let's get into it. So he said that he hired her based on her resume and the fact that they had a mutual friend. He says that she told him she was looking for a job with regular hours and less travel. Her resume listed degrees from Endicott College, Salem State University, and in 2014 from Boston University's Metropolitan College, an evening program for working adults that also offers degree programs at two state prisons, including MCI Farmington, where she served her sentence. It gets better, though. She used a bostonuniversity.edu email address and listed multiple prior employers between 2008, when she was first charged with one of her schemes for embezzlement, and 2009, when she was hired by him. So prior to going to work for uh, uh, a company called Southeastern, she had listed a an electronic contracting and property management business, several counseling practices, and a dental office where she handled billing and a temporary agency, according to a resume, placed uh, uh, her in a series of jobs involving billing. Yeah, so I'm going with the charge of common and notorious thief. I'm right there with you because the boss was saying on paper, it looked good. And he said to all appearances, she was a model employee. She was always willing to stay after work or to come in on the weekends if necessary. And And here's the big piece. Here's the big piece, because everyone falls for this one. She baked brownies for her boss's children. Brownies, cookies for the plumbers. I mean, come on. I I worked with a guy who, um, when I was with customs, when he had a security clearance done, his wife would bake cookies for the neighbors because she knew that the neighbors would get interviewed. (laughs) So she'd go around and bake cookies for the neighbors. That's funny. But wait, there's more. She actually told her boss that he should be doing background checks. And after taking her advice, he discovered a couple of issues with other employees, which could have caused issues for the company. That part did make me, that was kind of like a fraud irony too. Hashtag, I think that part, I didn't write that down too. Wait, so in we, Oregon, we have like three strikes, you're out. Oh, my God. You know, she's three strikes. She's been caught. But I know she's done it elsewhere. I know so it. 
So when you read this about like how it was expunged from her record or whatever because of some new law, like, do you know about, can you educate us, Kelly, on that? Well, not for like Massachusetts. And, you know, that's the three strikes thing is kind of, uh, again, it's one of these, it's a good idea for a lot of reasons to not have three strikes you're out. But in her case, I'm going to say it's not a good idea. So maybe maybe it should be three strikes for white collar and not three strikes for garden variety, you know, uh, drug offenses or, you know, things like that. Maybe it should be the three strikes white collar. Yeah. What's- well, and, and I think the bad part about this one is, as you guys have said earlier, her record, her prior record was expunged. So here's what happened. So a little more than a decade ago, she admitted to embezzling $1.2 million from uh, Ipswich, Ipswich, I said it all wrong, which was her employer at the time where she was a part-time accounts payable clerk. Uh, Her case stood out for what she did then because she spent the money, that's when she spent the money on extensive travel an eight burner Viking stove and an in-ground pool from her for her home and a designer wardrobe. Um, her co-workers couldn't understand how she could afford such expensive things. But what she said was she received an inheritance from her mom dying, but her mom was still alive. Now for that, she was sentenced to five, uh, she was sentenced from five to six years in prison. And her lawyer told the judge that her priorities had changed while awaiting trial and that she learned to value other people's things. So that was the first one. But then, um, what had happened was there was a law that would expunge your record after 10 years. But in 2018, that law was changed to expunge your record after uh, seven years. So her priors were expunged. So even if her employer had done a background check on her, he wouldn't have seen any of this stuff. Bad and scary. However, they wouldn't see it if it doesn't go to trial anyway, right? Which is Kelly, we talk about this, a lot of them don't even go that far or turn people in because it doesn't get them anywhere and it just costs more money. So that's how repeat offenders normally get to repeat because it's not even on their record. This is an unusual case where it was kind of on her record and then disappeared and then she continued to do it. But we could find news articles about her first thing. So, you know, I know we sometimes have HR people on here. At what point do we just start Googling the name of our new hires? Ooh, danger, danger. I mean, we talk about Facebook, you know, stalking and LinkedIn profiles and all that stuff. Like what, what's to keep a boss from Googling a new employer? Lawyers threatening to sue you. Um, yeah, you have to be, you know what the thing with that is that's great if you Google, but you have to Google everyone. So you can only, you can't just Google people. And if you find out that someone's a Wiccan, I always use this example. If you find out someone's like a Wiccan, you can't not hire them based on being a Wiccan. Or if they say, say that they, um, like Joe for yours, that you contribute, you do stuff for breast cancer awareness. Mm-hmm. They might go, hmm, she might be a high insurance risk. Mm-hmm. So you have to be very consistent yeah. Yeah. from the CEO down to the janitor. And you can't just willy nilly do it. And yeah. 
So if they, so this is just me being, I'm intrigued by this. So if they have a part of their procedures, steps that they do for every new hire, that would be okay. Like they could, or is it a matter of what they do with that information? That's like, I'm just curious. I'm not a lawyer and I don't like to step into that, but I, you know, this is where you need the HR lawyer or the yeah. HR firm to do it because, um, you don't want, I'm, I mean, okay, we say lawyer and it's like just cha-ching, cha-ching. So you have to be really, really careful. Um, what, and, you know, what about auditors on an audit? You know, I always say, you know, are you checking the LinkedIn of your auditees, you know, looking at their expertise? Like we've, we've seen, I show a lot of stories where you know, Forbes will uncover a CEO that lied on LinkedIn, you know, and they do this news story. And I always say auditors need to be more like journalists, investigative journalists, like get to the bottom of the story. And, you know, I just I'm curious, like, are obviously auditors could get hit and get in trouble for doing stuff like that, too. Maybe I don't. This is kind of interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be careful. Yeah, I know when I talk to my friends that are HR professionals, they say don't Google. And for that very reason that Kelly said, but yeah. to your point, Joe, if you're an auditor and you're investigating somebody, does that mean that all bets are off? So let's check out our audience. Thomas says, so <laughs> good judge of character is not one of her boss's strengths. I, I would definitely say that. And we have a newbie here. Rochelle says, newbie here she seems like a very dedicated employee and my man clarence says she is the definition of a career criminal you're right man because it's been over 10 years now i mean she should be ready to retire and get her watch now at this point that was probably a real bad joke but hal says if you are a hiring manager don't google prospective employees you risk getting sued as the hiring manager let hr do it routinely or not at all and Trent Russell is here. I feel like I need some sort of introduction for Trent. He says, Leslie, we can run a P-Card Analytics. There's always a trip to Disney. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, well, but but here's the thing, you guys. Okay, there was something else that I saw about this, this woman that I wanted to bring up with you guys, and I uh, just lost it. Lost my whole train of thought. That's okay. Well, On with the show. Put it with Pozo put up, because I think this is, I mean, this is educational, right? Oh, let's see. Like, yeah. So Pozo says, Googling for background checks can get employers sued. Hiring managers and HR can get sued for defamation. Yep. Can't assume what's online is accurate with all the hacking and cyberbullying. And I actually had one. You know what? Here's my buddy Rollis right here who's an HR professional. He says, happy to stop by and say hi. Uh, and maybe Rollis might have something to say. Let's see. Googling, checking social media is being done a lot by hiring managers. Just saying. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, Rollis. But yeah, um, I think that when you start to do that, though, it really does have to be all or nothing. Or you need to be able to show that when you do it, it fits a pattern that you have for specific people in specific roles. Like, for example, if you only do it for people who are in cash handling roles, then that probably is OK, because a whole bunch of this woman's stuff came up. The, the uh, 2009 case and then the 2000 and some other case and then this case came up. But it still begs the question. I think, how the, oh, go ahead, Joe. No, just real quick. Like, just, you know, I know we different different levels of sophistication of businesses. This is a yep. painting business, probably a family business. I don't know. You know, and this is the office manager type 
controlling everything. I'm sorry. I know there's HR rules. I'm not HR savvy, but like it seems like savvy entrepreneur. I own my own business. I want to protect my assets. Common sense to look into people. And obviously he wasn't doing background checks on anybody. And you're sending painters into homes. Like he, right. this is yeah. you know, victim shame, right? That's a big Kelly thing. But this guy clearly was not being smart about his business and protecting his customers and his own business anyway. So yeah. yeah. He, this is one of these where I'm gonna say he might've dodged a bullet by finding her embezzling. Um, because now maybe he or she who owns the business is going to go, Ooh, maybe I should take a look at some of the people I'm sending into people's houses. And instead of just being embezzled, maybe one of those people will rob, steal, rape, whatever. So I'm going to try and make lemonade out of lemons for him or the business owner, because I think they're going to say, Oh my God, I have to be really careful. So we're trying to make everything very positive and learn from this experience. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know what? I'll channel my inner Kelly. Trust is not a control. Please don't have the same person with access to your payroll, your accounts payable, your fuel cards, your bank accounts, your bank reconciliations. This woman was able to increase her salary in the system. She wrote checks to herself and paid for her own rent paid for a satellite uh, service for her car, paid for her phone. How did she get all that access? He he trusted her because she baked all those good brownies for his kids. What, what makes me sad, though, was that one line that, if you guys missed it, Robert said, it even got by the firm's bookkeeper. Yeah. And that, I think, as, as a CPA, as an accountant, makes me the most sad because there might have been a whole other set of eyes on this. Who wouldn't notice that payroll was just upped from you know this period to this period by seventy thousand dollars for one person like this is like simple especially for small business ownership which we all three understand you should notice these things your bookkeeper should be trained to notice these things like lots of this one's kind of sad in a few ways to me so obviously yeah. somebody else missed the boat that this company hired to do their books, to monitor their books, and they failed them as well. So kind of sad there. You know what the problem was? The problem was they did not call Trent Russell at Green Skies Analytics to do data analytics. That was the problem. Payroll <laughs> analytics. I mean, it, it went up by, you know, probably 15% from period to period or something crazy and nobody noticed. Right, they that is insane. Crazy. Yeah. Well, and when she started, you know, the $25 here, I'm going to say that's like testing. Yes, <laughs> yes. absolutely. <laughs> and it could be that, oh, they catch her and she's, oh, I can pay that right back. But then when there was no um, catching her, it's like the hockey stick. Mm -hmm. She was just dipping her toes in the water. <laughs> exactly. She was testing the waters to see how it was going to go. And my man Rollis says, love that you're discussing this. I don't think people know checking is a problem. Yeah. Yeah, especially for small business owners. And Trent, you are very welcome, sir. <laughs> Trent is one of the best data analytics guys in the business. Hey, so look, guys, while we are here, there's something else we want to talk to you guys about before we move on to our second story for the day. And that is the CPE book and movie club. They're both hold holding it up. So Kelly and I are doing the big short. <laughs> 
Look at her notes. I love it. Um, it's crazy. Next week. It's next Tuesday. So you guys have four more days to join us. It's October 19th, 11 o'clock Mountain Time. Another Ethics CPE for those of you still looking for those Ethics CPEs. Kelly and I will be talking about The Big Short, the movie from 2015 and the book from 2010, the Michael Lewis book. So it's going to be fun. Join Kelly and I for an hour and get that one Ethics CPE. You hear that, internal auditors? Get that one ethics CPE. I think you need two, though, but that's one of the two that you need. Right. Yep. I'll put it in the chat, in the comments. And Thomas says every business owner should watch this episode. Thomas, spread the word, man. Hit that share link. And get it to all of them. <laughs> but yeah, this, this one is very sad because $70,000 to a small to medium-sized business, or actually the total was $100,000 over a one-year period of time, I think, or a two-year period of time. I'm sorry. So 50 grand each year is a lot to a small business. Right. All right. Which, which is what makes it sadder that they didn't, that nobody saw it, bookkeeper or anybody. Yeah. Right. Very sad. So if you guys want to have CPEs at the CPE and, and movie book club, go to cpebookclub.com. Again, cpebookclub.com. How much is that, Joe? 20 bucks. Look at that. Really cheap. That's that's less than a steak. Bring your popcorn. Okay, bring your pop. Yeah, it's movie club too now. Remember, so bring your popcorn. Uh, it's lunch hour. You can bring your lunch. Hang out with us. It's always fun. So the other thing I want to tell you guys about is awesomeauditors.club. Go there. Drop in your email address. You might get a free gift from me. Just saying, it may be one hour of CPE, but. What we're doing is we're going to arrange some events for auditors and they're not the cookie cutter one way webinars. We're going to have some conversations because what I want is for everyone to excel in their career. So the questions that you have that you've been afraid to ask, come, let's ask them. Anybody who want to, wants to join to add to the commentary, come on down. We're going to have some fun helping auditors to develop in their career. With that said, all right, our next story, man. Good one. I don't know where to start. How about at the beginning? <laughs> We're calling it the mental health mess. All I can tell you is what happened. I'm just a reporter here. So law firm Newman and Shapiro recently announced that the private equity firm HIG Growth Partners and two of its executives in a subsidiary called South Bay that it owned They've agreed to pay $25 million to settle a False Claims Act case. Now, if you guys remember from past episodes, we've talked about false claims when it comes to Medicare and Medicaid in the United States. And essentially, that is when physicians or counselors or anyone who's eligible under the plan um, defrauds the government by charging more than they should. But in this particular case, what makes it even more interesting is that a whistleblower came forward. Now, the whistleblower attorney, Jeffrey Newman, filed the case in 2015. This is how long this has been going on. On behalf of Christine Martino Fleming, a former coordinator of staff development at, and training at South Bay. While she worked there, she repeatedly told management about her concerns that South Bay was routinely submitting bills to Mass Health, which is the Massachusetts Medicaid program, and its contractors for services provided by therapists and other professionals who did not meet the mass health licensing requirements and 
they were not properly supervised. So they were they were giving out advice to people and they were not qualified under the plan. Now, this company has had its a, a whole set of problems. In 2018, South Bay um, paid for a $4 million settlement for allegations of fraudulently billing the state's Medicaid program. And in 2020, HIG's Surgery Partners Unit paid $41 million to settle allegations of Medicare fraud. All right, Joe, Kelly. Joe, Joe just wants to say one word, corrupt. <laughs> like, why is this HIG, that's it, right? HIG still, I mean, have you seen the list of the companies that they like or have ownership in? This, yes. investment, this equity investment firm. I mean, it is. I don't, it's unbelievable to me that they are getting away with continuously doing this. I mean, this is such on a different level than what we were just talking about to me. It, this is, I mean, maybe, I don't know, Kelly, are we moving from pink collar to white collar here? I mean, really, this is a bigger deal to me, or, you know, not bigger deal, but you know what I mean? Bigger case, bigger problems. I mean, clearly corruption within this equity investment firm. So uh, I am looking at um <laughs> the hig capital uh website page. yeah yeah and mm -hmm. um they have over a diverse team of over 400 seasoned investment professionals and i'm just scrolling really quickly and it doesn't show pictures it just shows names but wow it's they're not good. yeah it's not good. yeah it's not good it's it's not good. One of the articles, actually, I don't know if I put that one in the chat. I'll put the next one in, has a list of all of their companies. Yeah, I just, you know, I, I listened to the Pivot podcast with Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway. I always talk about it. And healthcare is, there's so much money in it. And when you see private equity go into it, it's because the money, it's not because of the mission. And it just drives me insane because it's so incredibly important. Like healthcare is like, it affects every single person. And when you see private equity get into healthcare, there is, I'm going to be wrong here for some people. There is no good reason for private equity to be in healthcare. Why? To get more money well, and not to provide health. Right. So the perfect statement for that was the U.S. attorney's statement that said, and this was about, I think, one of the other cases you just mentioned, Rob, a laboratory that promotes and knowingly conducts medically unnecessary drug testing, which was one of their cons, was is prioritizing profit over objective medical decision making. Yep. And we talk about this all the time. These are the companies that put profits over everything, safety, well-being of patients. This is Theranos. This is everybody, right? Like Boeing, I could pick on Facebook. We could, I mean, we could just keep going, yeah. going. Um, so, so Joe with the E is here and he says, agreed, Kelly. And then he also says that's capitalism at its finest. But of course there's more. 
The alleged fraud took place between 2010 and 2017 entirely under HIG's ownership. You see, HIG acquired Surgery Partners in December 2009, took it through an IPO in 2015, and sold its majority equity stake in 2017. Um, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, not to get political here, but like I was just in Spain and I told you I had this couple from Birmingham and a couple from uh, uh, outside of Amsterdam. And they just were like, why is your health care so effed up? Like, uh, I mean, and it, this is why it's because there's profit. Yeah. It's not purpose. It's profit. Mm -hmm. So like, yeah. I just they, they just look at us and laugh. They're like, why? But you know what? They're also really scared. The the Birmingham couple, they're like, it's starting to creep over here. And it's because of money. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and, in, and in this case, too. So three HIG employees served on the Surgery Partners Board of Directors. And because of that mix, what ended up happening was for one of the first times, well, one of only a few times in history within this lawsuit, they actually included individuals as well because they were saying that HIG was actually involved in one of the organizations because some of HIG's employees sat on the board. So now you have governance and oversight issues, which is a topic that internal auditors should start looking at. I've been saying this for a few years now, but don't. And I don't even know if this organization had auditors at the top because they, well, if one of the, if one of them, Let's see a part of it. They went public with one of the companies, so they probably did have an audit department. But just looking at the organizational structure alone can point to some red flags. And if you have this parent company and then you got some other people on the board of the subsidiary, how is that adequate oversight and how is that independent oversight? So but that is one thing that I read in some of the articles was this is why they were able to bring in some of the individuals into the lawsuit. I think so I, I think it should be a red flag. You know, I work with a lot of private equity investors that want to invest in companies, but they want to make sure that the controls are in place, that it's a good company to invest in. I think there are equity investors that do it right and they want to make sure their companies are doing it right. And then there are ones that want to use their management as scapegoats. And one of the things I said with this one is they, they were kind of hiding behind management saying that it was management's fault. But I mean, they should have been the governance in this and they were, I mean, not at all. And I don't know, that, that's the part that kills me because I've actually had good experiences with some equity investment partners, you know, that want their, to make sure their companies are doing it right. They act like the board. They take on that governance responsibility. This is like the opposite yeah. scenario. So I'm thinking, wow, this is an interesting case for auditors to check out. It really is. And I found the exact wording that I was looking for. It says, in a rare move, the lawsuit also named HIG Capital as a defendant. Attorney General Healy alleged that HIG, and I quote, knew that SBMC was providing services in violation of regulatory requirements and did not bring SMBHC operations into compliance or make any attempts to repay the money owed to Mass Health as required by law. HIG allegedly cited the large profit margins as a reason to acquire the company. So 
I'm looking at their website and, you know, they break it down by certain things and they have a section on biohealth. HIG Biohealth Partners is the dedicated investment affiliate of HIG Capital that invests primarily in companies developing therapeutic drugs, medical devices, and diagnostics for significant unmet medical needs. Now, like, oh my God, the fact that they're developing a therapeutic drug and they're going to shortcut on this, like, this is what drives, like, it's, it's frightening. It's totally frightening. Does anybody, I mean, did they invest in Theranos? <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> I mean, it seems like it would be right up their alley. Like, it'd almost be payback. Like, it didn't work. Sorry. Oh, God. Yeah. So, Joe with the E says, Canada does it right. And Pozo says, is it profit or greed? So much I could say offline. Uh-huh. So, yeah. Both, because they're profits lead to what they make at the end of the day they're they're partners and their equity investment firm so they all get a share of those profits right so most likely yeah well well and i will say i don't necessarily have a problem with private equity firms investing in organizations to make money because they want to return on their investment that just makes sense but there are laws rules and regulations that need to be followed and when you violate those in order to make a profit that's when we have a problem and you know, it. you had someone on the inside, a whistleblower, which, by the way, she actually shared in uh, a sum of the settlement. I think she got two point six million dollars. Six point five. Six point five. OK. Yeah. So she got six point five. And, and, and as we talk about a lot on this show, if you see something, say something. And when it comes to to crimes against the federal government, you can blow the whistle and sharing some of that profit because some of us walk around organizations beating our heads saying this is wrong this is wrong and then they either ostracize us in the organization blackball us from getting promotions or raises or attempt to fire us or in some instances do fire us right that's what happens with auditors compliance professionals fraud professionals so now if you work for an organization and you know that there's something wrong you have some way of Anyway, if you see something, say something. I'm not going to get on that that soapbox. I'm going to leave it right there. See something, say something. Don't stick around just because you got a paycheck and you feel like you have bills to pay. Screw that. Your integrity is worth a whole lot more than that. And I'm going to leave it right there. So two things on that that I wrote down. So I put, like, this could be a hashtag, whistleblowing can pay. Like hashtag, whistleblowing can pay. Like, come on, let's stick with the hashtag theme. Um, and then maybe, did you say, did you do my power of one line? Robert, I didn't hear if you said that one or not. I did not. I can't find it in the okay. document, but yeah. So, you know, they said on the, on this whistleblower topic that that she never wavered and she gave meaning to the concept of the power of one because this did take years um, to get through all of that. So you guys know I am the, the everyday ethicist, you know, and I do believe in the power of one. So I was just glad to read that in here from a lawyer. <laughs> Giving her client or his or her client a props about going through with this case. Yep. I mean, and, and you got to think, too, in five years, you know good and well that she probably could not find the job because she was blackballed a little bit, even in her own industry. And they spread the word about her, even though she was the one actually trying to do the right thing. I think that's despicable behavior. And it. <clears throat> yeah, she's in private practice now. Uh, of course she is. Yeah, she has to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, she had what, 1,600 LinkedIn followers, Kelly. We were giving Kelly a hard time. We thought she should invite her on her Great Women in Fraud podcast. She's had so many great whistleblowers yep. on there. Maybe we could add one. We should yeah. tag her to this show so that she can see it. And then, yeah, maybe she'll see that and, and have her as a guest because it, this stuff is getting ridiculous. The things that you see and then the people who come forward and without without getting too far on a different subject, looking at the stuff from Boeing is really just upsetting me because there are people who knew and now all of a sudden they're coming forward. That's just no, no, you don't get to do that. So let me let me just say in this one, though. Beginning in October of 2020, HIG began quietly unwinding uh, down operations at CIS. It sold three of its subsidiaries to another private equity-owned mental health company, uh, Access Family Services, Family Behavioral Resources, and Autism Education and Research Institute. Then on January 5th of this year, they filed for bankruptcy. It sold its remaining mental health providers uh, to other equity-owned organizations. But let me say here, too. So now, You've got these people who are involved in the mental health field. They're supposed to be helping people who are freaking damaged. And instead, they're sending in people who are unqualified. You're sending in people that are not licensed, people who are not properly supervised. So what does that do? You create a worse mental health condition in people who already need help. That is despicable. Okay, so I was talking to someone yesterday who I am going to have on the podcast soon um, about monitorships. And like, I'm not all that familiar with monitorships. So I dug a little bit into it. And, you know, I think it's really, I'm going to say a little entertaining that you get like, you know, huge corporations have been through monitorships. Walmart is one, for example. I mean, there's just tons of them. And it's like, okay, so we've been naughty and now we're paying a bunch of really expensive lawyers, compliance, ethics people to keep us so we won't be naughty. And I just was like, it's a whole industry and it's kind of insane that like they have to pay people to come in to make them behave. Mm-hmm. Now, I know this is me being Pollyanna-ish, but like, I, I just like, really, you, and I was watching this um, TV show, Elementary, with yeah, it's the Sherlock Holmes one. Yep. And I didn't, I knew it was the Sherlock Holmes, but I didn't realize the premise was she's there to make sure he doesn't relapse into drugs and alcohol. Yes. And so, and because he has a rich dad who can afford to do this. But it's kind of like a monitorship. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and the thing about it is, monitorships happen in every, well, in a lot of industries, especially those regulated by the government. So it happens in financial services, it happens in healthcare because of Medicare, Medicaid, which then by proxy, it happens, of course, in mental health. But what happens is it's such a cash cow for some groups because, like you just said, you hire these big name law firms to come in and be your monitor, but then they actually have to come in and hire people to actually do the work, you know, auditors, compliance people, fraud people who actually know what's going on on the ground. So much money that's wasted. So, I mean, can we just go back to the fact that this goes against every principle a successful business has ever been taught yep. that we should throw out the inspection department? That's what monitorship is. The point needs to be that the processes need to be in place that are right and and just and controlled. And we shouldn't need monitors and inspectors. And I'm sorry, auditors sometimes. Like we, you know, like I say the best internal auditor 
is doing their best to work themselves out of a job. They are making their organization so good and those processes so, you know, permanent solutions and fixing the problems that they don't need them anymore. And so, but now these companies just are hiring monitors that, I mean, it, it is, it's a waste of money. It goes against lean. It goes against every principle of a successful business. So Joe, are you, are you saying we're a necessary evil? Is that <laughs> I'm like, you know what? They're always going to need us, but just make them need us in a different way. Yeah. You know, yeah. Internal audit definition is assurance and consulting. You know, at most departments you come across are going to be doing 90% assurance and 10% consulting. Like it's time that switches. That's all I'm saying. You it, know what though? Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, that's all I'm saying. I have a great idea though. So when you see these whistleblowers, and they know where all the quote unquote proverbial bodies are buried. When the case is settled, you should make them hire the whistleblower as the monitor. Except I think they literally have PTSD and probably could never step foot in the place again. You're probably right. Either that or if they did step foot in the place, they would be like Major Payne bossing everybody around. You guys remember that movie Major Payne with Damon Wayans? <laughs> they wouldn't. They, yeah, we couldn't do that to the whistleblowers. That would be that'd be bad. Unless the whistleblower could become the CEO and reform the company. That would be my, uh, well, yeah. be my suggestion. Yeah, yeah, I like that even better. Yeah. Oh. Oh boy. Pozo's got a big one here. So Pozo says it's horrific that people who are already struggling with mental health are uh, further harmed by this organization. It's not just about the money. Ethics not optional. Who pays when people's health is negatively affected? Did the auditors not audit payroll records to see the qualifications of the counselors, et cetera? Probably not. I mean, and like I said, I, I'm assuming that they had auditors. They may not have. I would assume that the holding company has auditors, kind of like when you look at Berkshire Hathaway, as much as they own uh, certain segments that are publicly traded, they have auditors, right? So- um, I don't think they have auditors. I think they see auditors as um, not even speed bumps, but roadblocks because they don't, they don't care as long as they can get money. They don't care how they get the money. Like, in, I, I'd be shocked if there was anyone. I mean, it's like when I go into a store, like I'm going to throw out Hobby Lobby, which my daughter says I can no longer go into for numerous reasons. But um you go in and there's no signs and she'll say McKinsey's been here and it's the high price consultant. There's no sign. So you have to go up and down every aisle. Like, you know, it's not just a matter of putting things at eye level or something. It's like, don't put any big signs up because then they go straight to it. This way they just have to go up and down every aisle. I, I can't imagine that HIG has auditors. They have consultants to make more money. Yeah. Oh, wow. Maybe we should try and apply for a job at HIG and see it, what they would say to us. Ooh, wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> oh, boy. Well, you know, they're going through restructuring right now. They may not be around. Oh, they'll be around in some other form or fashion, right? They'll just change it to, instead of H period I period G, they'll change it to like HIG. And be a DBA? Be, we'll just yeah. be a new DBA. Yeah. 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 <laughs> But, but you know, it, it does bring into question, though, since they brought in some employees as well, 
who were board members in one of the subsidiary organizations, um, where did they fall in the HIG hierarchy and where will they fall afterwards and what's going to happen, uh, if anything, to the board members at HIG, the holding company itself, because this, what we were reading was about five or six, it looked like cases against many of the companies they own. That means a systemic issue. I'm sorry, you if you have one, then okay. But when you have five or six, that's a systemic issue. So will they will will they get more individuals? Will they implicate more individuals in, in some of these uh, future cases that will come up now that they've filed for bankruptcy and they're dissolving many of the companies? Because you best believe some other whistleblowers are going to come forward if they can get six and a half million dollars. Right. Well, good. I mean, whatever benefit we need to give people to start speaking up, I'm I'm all for that. But I'm going back to the big corrupt word. Which way is the right C for everybody? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Corrupt yeah, that was it. This one. <laughs> yep. Corruption clearly in the culture of this company. And Kelly says she wants to move to Canada. Is it just for healthcare, Kelly? Um, I well, like certainly not for Canada. the weather. Like, it's candy <laughs> for the weather. So, yeah. Maybe on Vancouver Island, the weather is okay. But, like, uh, in Winnipeg or Saskatchewan, Saskatchewan, that's why they're all snowbirds, because the weather is brutal. Yeah, yeah. We well, is it worse than where you are now, though? Is it that much worse? Oh, yeah. Oh, way really? worse. Yeah. <laughs> oh. You're talking negatives for weeks on end. That's true. Yeah. To me, cold is just cold. Once it gets below like 50, I'm just done. <laughs> so. that's, why you, that's why you live where you do, Rob. Right. We live where we do. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, all right, you guys. So another episode of the Friday Froster, episode number 30, where we talked about today the mental health mess and the daily double, which really was a triple. So I mean, our lessons learned from this week are the same lessons from the previous weeks, though. Trust is not a control. Channeling my inner Kelly here. Verify your people's background. Just because they make brownies doesn't mean that they're a good employee. Check their history. Don't give one person control over every doggone thing. And for our internal auditors, look at the governance structure in your organizations. What say you, Kelly and Joe? Last words. Hashtag power of one. Yeah. Hashtag yeah. whistleblowers are heroes. There's Ooh, that. Like Hashtag fraud never ends. I think I've got some new shirts. Yeah. Fraud yeah. never like ends. And what was that other one? Power of one. Power yeah. of one. Yeah. I think that's a common one, but in this instance, I don't think I've ever heard it in the whistleblowing fraud instance. It's a breast cancer awareness, actually, hashtag. So I do know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've got some new shirt ideas. Thank you, guys. Anything we can do. All right. See you next week. <laughs>